Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. I like to call this sermon, If You Go, We All Go. In uh, firefighters, among firefighters, that's their slogan. If you go, we all go. And what they mean by that is that the one is as important as the many. If one person is in danger, the entire crew is in danger. And what if we saw our world that way? What if we saw our world that way? If you go, we all go. The means doesn't justify the ends. The means is who we are as brothers and sisters in Christ. And one person is as important as all people put together. If we lived our lives in such a way... (laughs) Our world would be a different place to live for each other, to live wholly and completely in the name of Jesus Christ, to multiply our care for each other. When Jesus says, uh, blessed are the peacemakers, so it is a concern not just for the systems of this world, but particularly, specifically for the people of this world. Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our strength, our Redeemer, may these words be your words. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. The year was 1914. The world was in the midst of the greatest war that history had ever seen up until that point, World War I. In the summer of 1914, the forces of Germany and the Allied forces were at a stalemate. The primary way that they made war was to dig, dig trenches, and literally battlefields were won a foot at a time. Well, in the summer of 1914, um, it just ebbed and flowed. And the only thing that really was consistent was the loss of life. Between the summer of 1914 and Christmas, over 100,000 soldiers were killed. That doesn't even include those who were wounded on the battlefield. But a miracle took place. On Christmas Eve, some of you may have heard this story. And we don't really know the full specifics of the story, where it started, how it started, who did it. But someone started singing Christmas carols. The voice moved across the battlefield. I mean, and the forces were less than 100 yards or so apart. That's how close they were in terms of the battlefield. One voice became two. Two voices became ten. Ten became a hundred. As they sang Silent Night, everyone knew the tune. And what rang out across the battlefield, now thousands of men singing together, was Silent Night in every language represented on the battlefield. As Silent Night came to an end, a soldier took a risk. He came out of the trench with no weapon, raised his hands, and said, Truce! Truce! And with that, every soldier dropped their weapon. 
They poured out of the trenches and met in the middle, shaking hands and hugging. And for the next few days, they exchanged presents. They sat around campfires. They played soccer against each other. It's called the Christmas Truce of 1914. Now, the commanding generals were horrified. They were, there were all kinds of threats that were communicated to the front line. And what would, what would be the, the punishment for collaborating with the enemy? But to no avail. The men wanted peace. The men longed for peace. They were tired of the killing. Unfortunately, on January 1st, the truce came to an end. The men returned to their trenches took up their weapons, and the battle and the killing continued until finally, finally, a ceasefire and peace was found. At the core of our being, we all long for peace. And in this beatitude, Jesus calls us to reclaim the longing of our soul, peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. So, what, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Now, uh, I want to review here for a second because as we look at the Beatitudes, remember we've talked over the last few weeks that each of the Beatitudes builds upon another. It's like a ladder of a developing disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, giving up self, giving up our, our, our sin, longing for God, offering mercy you know, as, as one is achieved, so we can move to the next step. In the previous beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One could think, well, naturally, if you are pure in heart, then being a peacemaker would, would be the next step. And, and so it is. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be children of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who are pure in motive, pure in sincerity, pure in morality. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the ones who bring peace. Now, before I get any deeper into this... I. I want to go through what Jesus is not saying. Because this passage is oftentimes misunderstood about what, it, uh, what it's referring to. Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who are of a peaceful disposition. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who yearn or want or desire or whose aspirations are peace. Now stick with me here. Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who are easygoing, laissez-faire. Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who want peace or would, would bring peace at any price. Or, blessed are those who would compromise. Or, blessed are those who would try to avoid trouble, not rock the boat. Jesus is not saying blessed are those are those countries or those sects or societies or individuals who have an appearance of peace. You see, an appearance of peace may only be an absence of war. And that's not what the Lord Jesus is saying here. 
Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who live and let live. Those who are tolerant in society and, so, and say, well, as long as it doesn't harm me, my family, or anyone else in my life, it's okay. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Everyone who wants peace in war-torn countries, in broken marriages, in families where there's strife and contention, in all sorts of relationships and nations, people want peace. The only problem is, over the recorded history of 4,000 years, there has, and this is amazing to me, I read it and and I was thought, oh my goodness, over 4,000 years, there has been 300 years when the world has not been torn by a major war. Some writer has been quoted as saying, Peace is merely that brief, glorious moment in history where everyone stops to reload their weapons. Sad. When Jesus speaks of peace, the Greek word that is used is erenpoloios. It is literally... To work for that which makes another whole and right. It's an active verb. It's an all-consuming expression. To be a peacemaker is not just working to change the systems of hate that are so much a part of this world. But more importantly, it is to work for the wholeness of those people close to us. Now, to to make a distinction here is that, and and we all know of organizations and individuals that are constantly working against systems, whether they be political or social, and working against systems that are corrupt or broken. What Jesus is saying by using this word is that true peacemaker is concerned about the welfare of the person. And that... If we, can, if we can change the person, then the systems naturally change. Does that make sense? We've, we've got it backwards so often. We're working on the systems, we're working on the systems as if the systems are going to change the, uh, the people. When Jesus, Jesus has got it right, when we work on the person... And, and we are constantly working for the welfare and best of individuals. When you go, we all go. That's when real change can infect our families, our marriages, our communities, our neighborhoods, our nations, our world. What would it look like for us to be peacemakers? Who would we start with? And all of us, who would we start with in our lives? For once we become a peacemaker and work for the well-being and best of an individual, it begins to multiply. That person then works for another and another and two become four and four become eight. Do you get it? And then the systems that are made up by those people naturally change. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be working to change systems. 
I'm not saying that we should divorce ourselves from the political process of this world that is, that is so much a part of what happens around us. But what I am saying is that our focus, our intent, our, our energy should be poured into one another. The problem, ultimately, is that we are afraid. We're afraid. We want what's right, but we are afraid that if we forgive, or if we make uh, the other person the, a priority, that we'll give permission that they can continue in their destructive behavior. Now, it's important to note that when we look at Jesus' ministry, He does not promote or advocate for being a doormat or a pushover. Jesus does not advocate for the absence of justice. When He goes into the temple and the temple priests are taking advantage of the of the people and the way that they're trading money and, and selling sacrifices. What does Jesus do? He doesn't say, oh, that's really bad. That's terrible. No, he turns the tables over. He, he whips them out of the temple. He stands against them with force and might. He doesn't say that we are be a victim. No, we are victorious in our devotion and in our following Jesus. But as peacemakers, our concern for the other can create a movement that will build upon each other that can truly make this world a better place to live. For when we offer forgiveness and mercy... We offer it because we believe it is the best way to live. It releases the power of God to transform another life. To be a peacemaker is to release others to the justice of God and not our own. Without it, conflict leads to conflict. Getting my pound of flesh leads to getting another pound of flesh until we can't even remember who has, who has made the first swing, who has landed the first blow. The Hatfields and McCoys are a perfect example. You know the Hatfields and McCoys. The story of, of the two families, one from Kentucky, one from Tennessee, that continued their feud over decades. What, what's ironic about the Hatfields and the McCoys, Rudolph McCoy and uh, William Hatfield is that they were best friends during the Civil War. They fought on the same side. They fought the same battles. When they came home, there was an argument over a pig. Do you know the story? I mean, read the story. It's absolutely amazing. It's a commentary on our life. They got it... The families got in this argument about a pig and it began to <laughs> began to expand until they were killing each other. And it wasn't until 2003, over a hundred years later, 
that the great, great, great grandsons of William and Randolph signed a truce over the conflict of a pig. In Hebrew, the word for peace is shalom. It is a greeting, shalom. And, and we often misunderstand shalom. And for, for me, this is the peace that Jesus is referring to in the Beatitudes. For shalom doesn't mean just peace be with you or peace be your life. Shalom means the presence of wholeness and attitude of absolute well-being. When one says to another, shalom, may you be well, may you, be, may you have well-being. And not only are you offering that in the word, but you are promising it with your action. If I'm to say shalom to another person, I'm making a commitment to that person. Peace be with you, and I'm going to be a part of that peace. If you go, we all go. Is there not a need for this? Peace for broken, tormented minds. Peace for terrible, ripped apart homes. Peace for reputations that have been destroyed through lust and degradation. Peace for a world that is dying one battle at a time. We need shalom more than ever. We need it now. As I close, I want you to think about when the day comes and everyone's gathered around looking back on our life. What will they say about us? What will they say? in kind of a morbid way, what will be on our tombstone? Will they say, he, she, was a peacemaker? In 1888, uh, Alfred Noble invented dynamite. I'm sorry, in, in 1866. Um, it made him a rich man. At one time, he held 350 patents, had labs in over 20 countries, and more than 90 fact- factories manufacturing explosives and ammunitions. It made him one of the wealthiest men in the world. But in 1888, 22, 22 years after he put together the formula for dynamite. His brother Ludwig died. Died in France. And the France newspapers got confused about which brother had died. They thought that Alfred had died. And so the newspaper headline read, The author of death has died. You know. The merchant... A battle is gone. Alfred was horrified. Not just that his brother's reputation had been, had been terribly misrepresented, 
but that he had never come face to face with how the world saw him. And so from 1888, Alfred Nobel used his wealth, his influence, and his position in the world to do everything that he could for peace. No longer, he shut down every factory. He refused to be a part of the munitions um, industry. And to this day, the Nobel Peace Prize is named after Alfred Nobel, the merchant of death. So what will be on what will be our epitaph? Peacemaker? Merchant of death? When you get to heaven where the headline never fades and the obituary is never forgotten, what do we want our reputation to be? I think it would be a blessing one day to be in heaven, to be walking down those golden streets and to overhear a group of angels talking and they say, look there, and they're pointing at me, there is a child of God, the one who acted just as Jesus did when he was on earth. I think this is why Paul, the Apostle Paul in his letters, again and again and again, when he talks about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, when he talks about what it means to be a community, when he talks about what it means to be a to be a church. He never leaves out peace. It is the only word of all of his descriptions that is always a part of those descriptions. And one of the most powerful passages comes from Ephesians. It was read for you earlier. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. To walk in a manner with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So when we come, to this table when we receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ may our prayer be make me in your image Lord make me a maker of peace help me to know the words the actions the timing to truly be your disciple to make a difference in this world Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your love and grace that never gives up on us. And we pray, O God, that you would give us the ability to never give up on each other. Truly make us peacemakers. Workers in your kingdom. And we thank you in advance for what you're doing and what you're going to do. For we pray this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.